0: Good morning. It's a joy to be back in New Zealand and it's rare to find people who are of the same heart. And Greg, and um, it is a blessing, mate, I tell you. It really is. Um, every time I speak with him, I feel as though God's already brought the revelation and of the intimacy of relationship with Christ, the understanding of the new wineskin and the mysteries of the church. And so Um, just pray for him and the the reality is it's actually not about him it's about the how the whole body functions together and what's so beautiful is that jesus is the head of the church and what so often happens is that we have teams the trouble is we fail to realize who is the captain of the team it's not a man the captain is jesus He has a vice captain, his name is the Holy Spirit. And every one of us are players. If you think you're the captain of your team, you are mistaken. If you think their job is to serve you and your vision, you're also mistaken. Because it's actually got nothing to do with you. It's actually to do with him. It's his, his gift. His calling, he only chooses to use broken vessels like us to somehow build his house. And if he is going to build a house, what are we supposed to do? Love him with all our heart. Then love one another. That seems really simple, but unfortunately we spend a lot of time striving and performing. I'm so sick of hearing people about, it's my calling and my gifting. The pendulum has swung in the church, from the man of god now to everyone with their own ministry so we've had one chief now we go to everyone wants to be chiefs (laughs) everyone wants to see how my life with my personal coach and my personal destiny can be fixed it's got zero to do really in many ways about you it's got about how god will fix you so that you can actually serve others and wash their feet Jesus, who was the greatest leader, washed the feet of the disciples. His job as the most humble, servant-hearted leader, not lording over people, came down and took the humblest of jobs and washed the feet. The disciples said, we can't let you do that. You are God. You are the Lord. He said, if you don't let me wash my feet, Peter, you have nothing to do with me. You can do nothing apart from him. And unless you let him wash your feet, cleanse your heart, purify you and become one with you, you actually have nothing to give anyhow. Out of the place of healing and identity in Christ, you actually have a ministry that flows. If you pursue your ministry instead of him, you'll end up pushing other people out of the way and become very competitive. You'll be become, your, your insecurity will cause a lot of issues and you'll be striving to find your identity in what you do, not in who you are. Stop thinking about you and who you, what you can do for God. Think what he can do for you first. Learn how to sit. Be patient. Often the greatest way God uses you is crushing you breaking you, and reforming you. And those who have the greatest leadership gifting go through the greatest forms of testing and trials. The Holy Spirit filled them, and then the Holy Spirit led them into the wilderness to be tested. Holy Spirit loves to fill you, test you, and then bring you in the power. But the power is only relevant in your weakness. Power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul said, I could boast, but I'm going to boast in my weakness that his power might be perfected. Humility brings grace. Stephen, before they stoned him, was full of grace and full of power. The power came as he served all the people. Stop thinking how people can serve you. I don't know how to get it across. If you think how other people can benefit you, you've got it completely wrong. The danger is we've turned the church into a consumer place where we've come to receive, but the trouble is we have no idea of bringing and coming together with something. And if we don't, we've taught the church to receive from the man of God. Rather than you've already received from the Lord himself and you're overflowing with his manifest presence and that you yourself are actually inviting the manifest presence of God to fill the house. What we tend to do is we come crawling in here to get a shot. (laughs) How on earth can you be a fire starter and a person who carries the manifest glory of God unless you are literally walking with them 24-7? And if you're waiting for the church to fix you, don't hold your breath. <laughs> and if you blame the church for not fixing you, then you've really got it wrong too. It's not the job of the team to actually fix your children, fix your marriage, fix you and fix every problem you've ever had. The person who fixes you is God. The job of the person who's trying to lead, who's a broken vessel anyhow, and has stuffed up so many times in all those areas, is hopefully to have got some form of idea how to introduce you to some solutions but that might take 40 years of marriage to get one solution. <laughs> and we've relegated the church to, these are professional Levites that are supposed to do the job. Actually, the job of the people who are actually been set apart by God is to help equip and train the body of Christ to come into maturity in the full stature anyhow. If we are to actually do it all, then we've missed it again. You haven't come to listen to me. I hope that you've come to hear the voice of God through a person who's trying to walk with him. And you should have already heard it through worship. How many just heard God speak through worship? Can you see them radiating and shining the presence of God? One guy said, you just did two hours of worship in your church. I said, that's right, but you didn't preach. I said, if you listened, you'd have heard what the Spirit said. There were four sermons in that worship. What ears have you got? Yeah. And what if nothing's happening in the church? Can you still be there with the brothers and sisters in Christ and tavern into heaven and hear what he has to say to you anyhow? It's mostly the quietest part you have in the week because you've set it aside to meet with God. Hopefully you meet with men and women of God who know God so that while they're speaking, it's water to your soul, it's washing over you and helping you get more in love with him. If you need to be needed as a preacher, you have missed it again. A lot of guys minister out of their need. They need to be needed. If you needed to be needed, you shouldn't be doing any of this stuff. It says the obedient enter the rest. Cease striving and know that he's God. I'm so busy. and You know when it comes to just independence, it's all about me. You know what the Bible calls it? Idolatry. You know what relationship or koinonia is fellowship is actually a codependency and and, and an honoring of who the person is in relationship so koinonia or fellowship with god is a whole thing of intimacy and friendship it's a two-way communication it's talking about marriage the great mystery of the church is the marriage that is the mystery the body of christ is a bride a building and what a body The bride speaks of intimacy. God is desperately looking for someone who just loves them. But how many know if you engage with someone and they do all the talking, how many know that that relationship doesn't last very long? How many know the person who's talking should stop and listen for a while? How does faith come? Who the heck should be listening to? God. How many want faith? Without faith you can't please God. But if faith comes by hearing, how can you hear him? By shutting up. How many wives get sick of their husbands talking? No hands, very smart. It's called wisdom. <laughs> I can see you're not dumb. <laughs> How many men know they have never wrong? I saw that was a bunch of wisdom too. How many men have tried to change their wives? How many know that's called dumb and dumber. If God can't change them, what do you think you're doing? You might as well give up right now. How many know he might do a lot more gentler, caring, patient, kinder way of changing her? What did Jesus say? Husbands. Well, let's get that again. Husbands. Husbands. <laughs> How many wives might actually flourish if they did that? Shock of all shocks, if the wife is, is loved, what might the wife actually do? No, the Bible actually says, wife, submit first. That's a step of faith, isn't it? Come on. Well, if he loves me, then I'll submit. No, no, submit. Because the basis of love is trust. What if he stuffs up? What did Abraham, the father of faith that was hearing God, do? That's not my wife, that's my sister. You sick puppy. (laughs) What did she do? She trusted God that when that king took her because she was beautiful and Abraham, the father of faith, the mighty man of God, had literally said, I don't want to die, (laughs) have her. God said to that king, you touch her, you're dead. How many know that required a lot more faith from Sarah than it did from Abraham? And he looks out and says, what the flipping heck are you doing? That's your wife. Oh, well, I'm just, yeah. (coughs) Thank you very much. Relationship with an intimacy and trust can take time. Who builds the church, us or Jesus? How many of us have tried to build it? Who builds the ministry? What ministry have you got anyhow? If you can't do anything without him, how many know you're in great trouble? So our fellowship is with who? let might as well read the Bible, I haven't read it yet, so we might as well get on my iPhone. I've got some poor Chelsea supporter crying that only drew one oar with Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I see red. <laughs> I actually see blue oh, at last. 1 John 1 3. If you have your Bibles, 1 John 1 3. We have heard and proclaimed to you also that we may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So what are we as believers to have fellowship with? God the Father and the Son. And then says in Second Corinthians verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, Our fellowship is with also the Holy Spirit. How many know there are three different entities? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says we're to have fellowship with one another. How many know that's an exciting work? (laughs) How on earth can we have fellowship with one another, which is called the, the body, if we haven't had fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What's the first part of the commandment? Love God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with all your heart, with all your mind, and from that into relationship and koinia with him, you then can love others. If you just try and love others without this, it becomes a humanistic love. It could be the love that God gave you anyhow because he created you in your image, but that love will become a diminishing tank. That love will literally start to be worn out. You will then protect what love you had for just you and your own. But if you've come into the overflowing presence of God's love, rivers of living water, you are having an intimacy because who he is, God is, love is filling your vessel to overflowing, then you are able to have and fellowship with the body of Christ. You're not trying to live out of, the, out of them, you're not living out of their love, you're not even living out of the need for them to love you, even whether it's your wife, your children, your mother, you are literally totally, my sufficiency is in him, in Christ alone, Christ alone where does my help come from my wife no from you creator of heaven and earth who do I cry out to where does the living waters come where does the manifest presence and glory come how can I be changed from glory to glory unless I'm looking upon him who is glorified so if I'm having fellowship with the father how did Jesus have fellowship with the father he went off and prayed didn't he Where is the father in heaven Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What did Jesus do when he went off to pray? He took his disciples once to see how he prayed. Didn't he? What happened when Jesus prayed? Heavens open up before him. The glory of God comes down. His entire countenance starts to change. His garments become like light And they're standing there in awe as they hear the audible voice of the Father speaking in relationship to the Son. Is that your prayer time? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus said, I only speak that I hear the Father speak. I only do what I see the Father doing. What do we look for? Recipes of how God spoke before. We continually look back into the gospels to see how Jesus spoke before, how God spoke before. Verses, Paul said, I came to know Christ, not through the teachings of man, Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14, but through a revelation of the Son of God. How did Jesus how did Jesus reveal himself to Paul, who was a persecutor of the church and hated Christians and killed them? In Galatians, it says he was what? converted by a revelation, not the teachings of man, not through his head, but a revelation. Do you hear that? And in verse verse 12, I received it neither from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. What kind of revelation did he get? He got blinded by a light on the road to Damascus. He saw who? Acts, isn't it? He saw Christ glorified speaking to him he had never seen him on the cross never seen the stone rolled away hadn't seen him what we know of in any of the miracles that took place in the gospels so the Jesus that Paul meets with isn't the son of man Isn't the crucified Christ, it is the risen, glorified, radiant light of the world who has a face that shines like the sun, a light that's so bright that it literally fills the heavens, and the light of the glory of God has shone down and blinded him by the light. And a man who's incredibly intellectual suddenly gets heart revelation, because Paul then prays in Ephesians, My prayer is that you may have the eyes of your heart opened to have a revelation of the Son of God that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses wisdom, that you know the height, the depth, and breadth of his love, that so be filled up with the love of God, that every family on earth would bow its knee before him, creator of heaven and earth. Then he goes on and talks about the mystery of the church being one. He goes on to the mystery of the marriage. And then he goes on take up the full armor of God, because all hell is about to break loose. In fact, the word Ephesus was not in the original manuscript. Paul wrote that, what we can understand, in his last days. And it was a circuitry letter that went to all the churches because he understood every church should have an eldership called the fivefold. And he knew he needed to try and somehow present to them the mystery of the body of Christ. If you look at the book of Acts, you could proclaim any ministry under the sun, but he was actually trying to figure out how to do it. He tried one-man band, preaching on Bath's Hill. He tried to work with some of the other apostles, had a fallout. Tried to work with some of the prophets, had another fallout. Do you realize that the apostles are very tricky men? They're not user-friendly. They're called alphas. How many know they actually got into each other's face? Jesus had 12 of them, didn't he? Sons of thunder. Call fire down. No, just pull it back in, son. (laughs) Grab a sword. No, just put it in your mouth and shut up. <laughs> Cut their ears off. No, I'm going to heal them. We saw demons fall from heaven. Thank God your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to sit at your right hand. I no, no. Just back off again. It's got nothing about your first and your second. The, the, I'm going to sort that out. Just get your heart right. You imagine the Son of God entrusting it to twelve men. One of them hung himself. That gives you hope for any leadership team, doesn't it? (laughs) Come on. This is the son of God, had picked. One of them denied him, and the others ran. That bodes well for you wanting to be a leader, doesn't it? People say, I'd like to lead. I said, that's great. You're dumb. (laughs) I'd love to be preaching. I said, you're even dumber than I thought. (laughs) You'll be held accountable for every word that comes out of your mouth. Much is given, much is required. You'd be better off to chuck a millstone around your head and throw yourself in the sea if you cause people to stumble. I mean, that would be a little bit better. I want to be the first, because it says here, first apostles. Well, guess what? Jesus said the first should be last. Did you read that bit? Yeah. I'd like to be top of the CEO of the, of the pile here and run the whole thing. Jesus said, guess what? Everyone's going to walk on you. You're going to be the foundations. You want to go high? See how low you can go. Very good. You think you're something? Shut up. <laughs> you want to follow me? Die. take up your cross and die. You think you've got rights? You have no rights. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Well, I have a right. You know what the Bill of Rights is, an Antichrist statement? You want a Declaration of Independence is idolatry? You realise you can do nothing apart from him and he was smart enough to make sure he didn't give it all to you. That's a mystery, isn't it? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers. That means he gave bits of who he was to you. That means you can't really fully do it as a representation of Christ without someone else. (laughs) Otherwise, we've got a whole bunch of little Jesuses running around. How many know that could be a problem? (laughs) Are you Jesus? No. Have you got some revelation? Yes. Have you got it all? No. Brilliant. Brilliant. We can go somewhere. You realise you know a little bit. How many know you're in trouble if you think you know everything? Have you met them? If you get sick of hearing yourself preach, then you're actually in a good place. If you'd prefer other people to preach and not you, you're in a better place. If you're secure enough not to speak at all, you're in a wonderful place. Moses, the most humblest man on the earth, said, I can't speak. Moses said, oh, here I am. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to ask me. I've been sitting here for quite a long time. I've never seen the mic yet. Is that right, Mike? <laughs> Thank you very much for that one too. I am so, it's such a mess, isn't it? How on earth is God going to figure any of this thing out? Because no one else can. What if the church blows the bits? How many know churches blow the bits? No. Boom, boom, boom. Is God knocked off his throne? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is your identity in how many people follow you? No. Is your identity in how many people you've been healed and seen healed and saved? What happened when David counted his army? You got judged. How many have heard, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So wouldn't it be interesting to know what the kingdom is? Would that be helpful? (laughs) I'm hearing a lot about that lately. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom. But Jesus then made an amazing statement because the Pharisee says, "When is the kingdom of God coming?" Luke seventeen twenty to twenty one. Jesus said, "The kingdom of God is not coming with signs. Mm-hmm. But surely the kingdom of God is signs and wonders and miracles." No. That's an interesting statement, right there, isn't it? Look here, it is no kingdom of God is within your midst. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many have said, well, I've prophesied, I've cast out demons, I've done mighty works in your name. And he said, actually, I never knew you. Isn't that an interesting statement? To know him, to have fellowship with him, which is John 17, eternal life is to know him actually doesn't actually mean signs and wonders confirm that you know him gifts and miracles and calling are without repentance that you can be in absolute sin and still operate in your gift and calling and if you think those gifts and callings are yours you fail to realize other the gifts of the holy spirit i've seen people in complete sin absolutely abhorrent, apostate ministering under the anointing of the holy spirit seeing people healed and touched and their lives are an absolute sin. The person here in sin justifies their sin because God's still using them. The person speaking truth because they know God and have been anointed, they were once a David, have now become a Saul. We're small in their own eyes, now they're a big. How many know the Holy Spirit had departed off Saul for quite a while, but it took a while before he figured it out? Jesus then said in John 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Well, there's a brilliant statement right there. My kingdom is what? Not of this world. But surely we're saying, Thy kingdom come. And then Jesus is going, well, my kingdom that's coming ain't of this world. Do you hear me? What did Satan say to Jesus when he saw him? I offer you the kingdoms of this world. I'll even give you dominion. How many people would love to have dominion in the kingdoms of this world? He had them. Jesus said, I don't want them. Why? Because his kingdom was not of this world anyhow. It seems a bit what I'm trying it might seem a little bit weird, but let's just try and figure it out. Hebrews 11 verse 16, "But they desire a better country which is a heavenly one, therefore is not ashamed to call them God, because He has prepared for them a city. If the kingdom is not of this world, where is it? Obviously not here. That's not very, that's pretty simple, isn't it? If the kingdom is not here, where on earth is it? Luke 19, 12, Jesus said, A nobleman went to a far country to receive his kingdom, then return. How many know that he's going to return again? But how many know he's gone to get his kingdom, which is in a far country? How many know he's gone to prepare a place for you? That means where he's prepared isn't here. Does it help a little bit? In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty-two to twenty-nine, but you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose name's written in heaven. And you've come to a judge, the judge of all to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the blood sprinkled that speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If if not, you would not escape and would be warned to them on earth. How much less will you if we turn away from him who warned us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The word once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken that is created so that it cannot be shaken, will remain. Therefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Daniel says in Daniel 2.44, The days of the kings, the God of heaven, will be set up and the kingdom. There is a kingdom that will not be destroyed, nor shall the kingdoms be left to any other person, because he will break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. What's he going to do to the world's kingdoms? Break them and bring them to an end. But what has he got? He said, I'm going to shake heaven and earth. I'm literally going to take down all the kingdoms of this world. Why? He said, he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Therefore, the kingdom that he has established is not of this world. He's going to take this world out. He's going to take the kingdoms and dominions of this world out and take you to a heavenly city the new Jerusalem the city of our God and he's going to judge this world with all consuming fire how many heard the earth's going to melt like wax and is going to be destroyed by fire Second Peter chapter 3 10 to 18 people are going oh my God God's going to do what? he's going to destroy this earth yes why? he didn't come to save the earth he came to save you how many have heard he makes all things new? You're a new creature in Christ. How many know you'll get a new heavenly body? Wouldn't it be nice to have a new earth? And a new heaven? And a new Jerusalem? How many have been to the old Jerusalem? How many have travelled this old earth? How many have heard that the Bible actually says, I saw the first heaven and the first earth had passed away? Is that in here? Revelations 21. What had passed away? the earth and what the heavens and what passed away how with all consuming fire if that's passed away what are we left with in chapter um, 2 then i saw the holy city the new not the old jerusalem the new jerusalem coming down out of what heaven it has to be the new heaven because the old one's gone are you with me and it's coming down onto what earth Well, the old earth's gone, so what kind of earth is it? Don't hold your breath waiting for the new Jerusalem to come down on this earth, because my Bible tells me it's gone. How many know that throws dominion theology and this earth being terraformed by the sons of God into complete confusion? I'm trying to take seven mountains because the seven mountains of influence and authority, God isn't interested. He's actually come to save you. Because what did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is... The kingdom of God is what? And where I am, you shall be. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead will take your human spirit Where? back to him oh, dear God. he said I actually pleased to call you sojourners because you are actually aliens on the earth seeking for a heavenly home that's not made with human hands a city that's been made by God what on earth are you living for are you living for this world or are you living for the kingdom of heaven that's within you if this isn't your home, where is it? If you're a citizen of heaven, do you have access to that citizenship? Says so we're high priests, we can come in, the, the vow's been torn, we can now come in and see him face to face. What did Paul say? I know a man in Christ who caught up into the third heaven. He said, when you come to church, bring a prophecy, tongue, a revelation. What happens in the end of the Bible? How many chapters of Revelation do we have? 22 chapters of a man who is what? Alive or dead? Was John the Apostle on the island of Patmos alive or dead? Alive. What does the opening statement in the book of Revelation say? This is a revelation of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast and the 666. No, it's a revelation of... Jesus Christ. It's a what? A revelation of who? Jesus a revelation, I'm going, to, I'm going to say it again. A revelation of Jesus Christ. What was the revelation? He's no longer dead. In verse 13 to 18, I saw one like the Son of Man, his head and his hair were white like like snow, His face shone like the sun in full strength. He said, do not be afraid I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. John, who had seen Jesus as the Son of Man, he had seen Jesus as the crucified Christ, he had seen him as the risen Son of Man walking through wars because his kingdom was not of this earth. Then he saw Jesus, what? As the glorified and the other disciples got upset because he said, you will see of the kingdom before you taste death. The others got very upset with that. But what was the basis of John's relationship with Jesus? Love. Is Jesus got favoritism? No. What was he looking for? Love. What did he say to John when he was crucifying, being crucified on the cross? Mary? As your son. How many would pass your mother over to someone? That relationship was a relationship of the heart. Why would God get Paul and say, that the eyes of your heart will be opened? Because so much of our Western Christianity is from the head. They have faith in faith. Or a doctrine of faith. I met a lot of people who have faith in the word, but it's not the person of the word. It's a doctrine of the word that they have faith in. Jesus warned them and said, you search the word thinking that in the word you have eternal life. You search the scriptures, but you fail to come to me who, has, who is eternal life. The Pharisees knew the word backwards, meditated on it, knew it backwards, but when Jesus walked past, they couldn't see him. The disciples who were uneducated, unlearned men were what? They said, we have seen and beheld the Word of God made flesh and seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Their revelation was that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Word made flesh. When we die and go to heaven, we don't see a Bible sitting up there with a whole bunch of doctrine. When I died, I saw Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, glorified. The same person talks to me on a daily basis, and I have a relationship, not with the Bible, not with theology, but with a person. I love the Word of God, but the Word of God is supposed to become part of you, that you are an epistle read and seen of all men. In fact, you should only preach that which Christ has already done in you, which would stop most preachers from speaking. But because most of them are just teaching out of their intellect, not out of a heart relationship, therefore they are up here because we've shoved them up here to be up here 80% of the time preaching. Because we've employed them as Levites to do the job of a priest. The reality is that's all Old Testament. The new wineskin is that God has given the revelation of who he is to the body that we all work together, oh, dear God. each supplying that which is lacking, each one helping, none of us deviating from each path, and each one exercising their gifts, and I've only got one gift, well, flippin' not very happy. <laughs> Look at that guy, he's so flippin' gifted. Well, guess what? You're only accountable for your one gift, do something with it. Very good. And stop being competitive and jealous, because the Bible says it's demonic. You thank God the one gift you got, use it. Or you will lose it, the Bible says. God will take it and give it to someone else. Trouble is, how many of you are actually using your gift? With pyramid-structured, corporate structures, with CEOs on top of it, how we run the church right now, you don't have a chance of getting to use your gift, so you get so frustrated with it, you go outside and use it out here. And form all your own ministries. What we end up having then is uniformity. Birds of feather flock together. How I many know unity is not uniformity? We have groups call themselves the School of the Prophets. I go, what on earth are you doing? The prophets in Antioch are on staff in, the, in Acts 13. What on earth are you forming? If you all agree, oh, we're going to see open heaven, we're going to see the glory around, we're going to dig wells and we're going to pray and open up the principalities and powers of glory and bring heaven down, you better make sure that you're around a teacher to make sure you don't get into deception. And you better be around an apostle who you can also prophesy, that can actually somehow guide you through the the, the, the problems of just the prophetic realm. Do you realize that Jesus is the prophet? He's the apostle, he's the evangelist, he is the pastor and he is the teacher. And he was really smart, he gave you one bit of it. Not all are apostles, not all are prophets. That meant you actually had to work together. What we've got right now, and I think I preached it last time I was here, we've got a whole bunch of teachers sitting together and calling them Bible schools. We've got a whole bunch of evangelists sitting together and calling it schools of evangelism. We've got a whole bunch of prophets over here and calling it the school of the prophets we've got one poor pastor sitting there with his 50 to 100 people dying thinking where the flipping heck are my leaders <laughs> I'm a one armed paper hanger <laughs> doing everything this guy over here has 30 students of the cream of the crop he has a 9 to 5 job and then they go home and study <laughs> the evangelist goes running around and gets them saved and it puts them nowhere The prophets sit there, throw stones at the church and basically open up the heaven and say, come and buy my book. (laughs) Pastor's sitting over here and going, we're in flipping trouble here. I can't, I've got to preach, I've got to teach. They want me to prophesy. They want me to have 24-7 prayer. They want me to counsel. They want me to open up the glory realm. They want me to do treasure hunts. They want to teach them on the school of supernatural. I can't even breathe. (laughs) And everyone in my congregation is telling me, Pastor, we should be doing this. He's going... (laughs) la 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 I can't even see my wife cuz when the people are working I got nothing to do when they finish work they want everything to happen I'm married with 3 kitties do you want to kill my marriage do you want to kill my kids then get me out 6 days a week Do you hear anything of what I'm saying I've been doing this for 35 years I have seen the biggest mess that we've got. God said the problem isn't with the sheep, the problem is with the shepherds. How many of you in the congregation know the problem is with the the church leadership? None of you? Because we've got cameras, we saw that. We will chase you into a cave and we will excommunicate you soon. It's called the right foot, left foot of fellowship. Here we go. Boom. Some of you can't smile because you've been so sad for so long. You can either get grumpy or you can be part of the solution. You can either look at the problem or ask God for the solution. And guess what? You are part of the solution. That means put your hand to the plough, stop grizzling and complaining and put your finger in the dike and do something. One can set a thousand, two can set ten thousand. Guess what? You can't do anything in fixing the church unless you actually humble yourself and start serving it. And your gift might make room for you if you have any. And what happens if you spend 20 to 30 years and no one ever asks you to do anything? And you've just been serving. Well, you might be one called Moses who spent 40 years prepared, and then you might be standing before tens of thousands, but it might take you 40 years to get there. Are you wanting a short, quick trip, or you want to take the ancient ways of being prepared by the Lord? If you are a Joseph, how on earth could you suddenly get this wonderful vision of everyone bowing down before you, and next minute, even your family and all your mates and the whole world, and next minute you're in prison accused of something and basically had the key thrown away? What are you going to do then? And then when you do see your brothers after you become second to the Pharaoh, what are you going to do then? (laughs) I just might put a little bit of gold in that camel. (laughs) Just see what we might do here. I might play a little bit with the mouse. (laughs) He was a bit cheeky. The greater the calling, the greater the testing. The price behind the anointing. People say, I would like you to lay hands upon me and give me a double blessing. I say, if you really would like that, the word I see in the book of Job says, Job went through an interesting time, and from what I can see, he got what was called a double blessing. (laughs) Would you like to me to pray for you? No, thank you. I would like your mantle. I said, well, you can't have it. It's not mine to give. Get your own. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) And don't go lying on someone's grave trying to find someone else's mantle. You must get 50,000 other idiots who have done the same thing. I've been up to Smith Wigglesworth's grave. The poor guy up there, the gravekeeper, he said where are you from in New Zealand? And he looked at me like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, I see Smith Migglesworth grave. And he kind of... <whistles> I said, no, mate, I'm not going to lie. I'll just come to have a look. Oh. Get your own mantle. Grow in your own armour. Learn to move in your own authority. David learned how to lose a slingshot. Saul tried to put kingly armor on him and guess what, didn't work. Don't put on someone else's armor, start small. Then he took off the head of the Goliath, then he took out thousands, then he took out tens of thousands and then at the end of that he was taking out nations. But he didn't just get there. He went through the test and trial. He had people throwing spears at him. He had people in leadership and security. Sauls trying to kill him. The greatest thing that will kill the the David's and the new apostles are the Sauls. The prophets call fire down, open up the heavens, and then have the spirit of Jezebel take him out, and he loses his mantle, loses his anointing. We have the same demonic presences operating right now within the body of Christ. Insecurity, manipulation, domination and control. If your identity is not in Christ, you will be trying to find your identity in what you do for Jesus. And if you start turning around and putting another notch on the belt and doing a brag sheet, the danger is that the problem is you're focusing upon signs and wonders. The Bible tells me that in Mark 16, these signs will follow you. Uh huh. I follow Jesus, signs and wonders follow me. I follow signs and wonders, that's what I'll get. Did signs and wonders change everything? No. How many signs and wonders did Jesus do? How many people followed him? No, no, come on, let's have a look. How many lepers did he heal? How many came back and even thanked him? Did he follow him? How many thousands did he feed, 5,000? How many followed him? After three years of ministry, with countless miracles, untold radical healings, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, how many followers were with Jesus apart from the 84 people that he handpicked himself? 36. 12 a year. He went from 84, 12 apostles, 72, is that right? That is 84, 120 within the upper room, literally still following him. 36 added. What was Jesus looking for? Disciples. Did the apostles, did Jesus say, you want to still follow me? He said, no, no, no. (laughs) it's too hard to follow you but we can't leave because you are the Son of God, you have the words of eternal life. If we were doing it, we would have camped around the miracle. We would have had the fish and loaves, we would have set up a ministry, we have the fish and loaves ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have the healing in the pool of Siloam, we have the stirring of the waters church. We'd have a thousand demons come out and we've got, we've got the deliverance ministry. We have open heaven, Shekinah Glory, with the Shekinah Glory Ministry Church Incorporated. <laughs> what did the disciples do when they saw Jesus start to transform? Let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a monument. Let's make this a place that we can all come on pilgrimage to. Jesus said, oh, uh, <laughs> let's walk away from this one. When he did all the miracles and cast out the demons, he said, let's go from here. I love signs, wonders and miracles. I got saved by being raised from the dead. Does the sign, wonder, or miracle keep me following Jesus? No. Nope. I've seen people with deaf ears, blind eyes, opened and turn away from following Christ. I've seen a quadriplegic healed in front of me that we prayed for, stand up and within a week turned away and said, no, i got my miracle, see you later. Do you realise that Jesus still heals them? He's come, he meets the need, he does the miracle, but he knows unless there's a change of heart, they've just come to get what they wanted. But what he wanted to give them was living waters, eternal life. He wanted them access into heaven. He wanted them not to just get marriage fixed, their body fixed and healed and the cancer gone. He actually wanted to know that, guess what? Your body will pass away, but your soul is what I've come for. I've come to take you home. I want my kingdom to dwell in you, my spirit to dwell in you as Lord and Savior. I want you to know that the kingdom of heaven is not of this world. And if you're so fixed upon the world, you'll be looking to have your things fixed. God fixes them. But that is just the outward temporal stuff which will pass away. You can get all the miracles under the sun and you will still die. That's why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall live. I will give eternal life. I will give them a new heavenly body. No more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, eternal from a temporal world that will be shaken and completely and totally pass away. And you know what he said? The work of the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Old-fashioned word, repent. <laughs> Unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's interesting. That means not everyone's going to make it. That blows hyper-grace and false-grace teaching. People that go to hell will go into the lake of fire and it's called the second death. People say, oh no, they're going to come out. No, they're not. They're dead and they are going to be judged. It's called second death. They can't repent in hell. You can't pray them out of hell. They will be judged. His mercy triumphs over judgment, but he says it's appointed for man to die. Then comes judgment. While you're alive, you have mercy and grace. Because His mercy triumphs over His judgment. The moment you die, judgment. Do you understand that? Part of the character and heart of God is mercy triumphing over judgment, but once you die, comes the judgment. It's part of His character. Unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's an imperishable seed, Peter said, through the living, enduring word of God, born again. One Peter 3, one twenty three to twenty five. Then he encouraged his disciples. This is an extremely interesting one. People don't really like Acts fourteen verse twenty two. Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, oh, that's a wonderful word, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through how many? Many tribulations. Let me know that through the tribulation, Jesus leaves the elect through the tribulation? Who the heck are the elect? Are you chosen of God? Are you selected? Are you the apple of his eye? After the tribulation, he even cut it short because those who are elect... Because he thought some of them might fall away. (laughs) It's an interesting thought just in itself. I'm not going to expand because I'll get killed. Do not lay yourself up treasures in heaven? Set your mind on things above, not things of earth. Kingdom of heaven is like the ten virgins. Get ready. Get full of the oil of God. Get into relationship with Him. And intimacy prepare as a bride for the return of the bridegroom. The greatest is love. Are you in love with him? Are you ready for him? If the greatest mystery of the church is the marriage, that is the greatest thing is relationship. How many are married? Some are not sure now after all I've been (laughs) saying. I've been taking notes. I'll let you know how it all looks so far. Your wife hopefully submits to you and loves you. Hopefully you love your wife, you lay your life down, and you literally want her to fly the highest. You shouldn't be overshadowing her, you shouldn't be getting her to live underneath your shadow, she should be her own tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and should be glorifying Christ. She should be blossoming under your love. how many blossoming wives do we have in our midst oh god we need help (laughs) the husband's lifting the hand up blossom, blossom, blossom (laughs) hurry up I'm telling you, I command you in Jesus name blossom, (laughs) shalama tenderness kindness, gentleness love Mercy. Stop trying to change her. Love her. You can only love her as God loves you. (laughs) If your husband's in love with God, it might actually rub off to the wife. (laughs) Those who look to him shall be radiant. I'm more in love with my wife than when I married her. I'm on my continual second honeymoon, I'm hot for my wife, I'd rather just be with her than the kids, church, preaching, anything, truly, I'm having my sixty-first birthday in about ten days time, she said, what do you want honey? I said, you are the bow. <laughs> She said, that can be arranged. She said, you're easily pleased. I said, I don't get bored, honey. When you found a good thing? Found a good thing, mate. I love it, mate. I look forward to anniversaries, birthdays. It's a good excuse to take her away. Because the only time I get undevoted attention when she's not cooking and looking after the kids is when I get her out of the house. Do you realise God just can't wait? He's so in love. He can't wait. He said, look after your marriage and I'll build the church. The building block of the church is the family. We're so busy doing stuff and so busy whatever, we lose the relationship with God, which is our first love, and then we lose the second most important relationship, which is the marriage. Then we lose the kids because we put the church or ministry before the marriage, before the family, or before our relationship with God. And we've been running on empty for so long, we don't even know it. And we cohabit because of the children, but we actually have lost intimacy. And we're so busy getting married to our ministry that our ministry becomes our husband or our children. In fact, the spiritual children become more important because they're only because we've lost them. We replace the need for actual family and we lose it completely. I don't know. I feel like just going fishing some days. Watch it on YouTube. Thy will be done. We're to be kingdom, the priests, kingdoms of this earth, and we're to be kingdoms of, of, of the kingdom of priests to the Lord. Minister to Him first. One of the greatest things in ministering to the Father and to the Son is literally coming up and worshiping Him. What I find, because we have access to the kingdom of heaven, if the kingdom of heaven is not of this earth, where do we go in the spirit to meet with him? Christ will come down by the power of his Holy Spirit and start transforming us, but the Bible says that we're to have revelation, and John was caught up into heaven. I've spent the last 35 years, since I've been a Christian, spending most of my time going up into meeting Christ in the heavenly realm. The person that I met when I died is the person I've been meeting for the past 35 years. People say, how on earth can you have your tank filled? I said, because I go to the person who's the source of the living waters. I don't go running around for some prophet to prophesy over me or lay hands upon me. I don't go running around from conference to conference. I don't go running around looking at TV programs. I hardly ever look at them. How many know it's very hard enough just to get time to read this? You do a whole lot better reading this than you would listening to someone else's sermon. Get it firsthand. grow up, stop drinking milk of someone else, grow up, pay the Jews, pay the nothing good in life is easy, you better pay the price, dig your own well, stop drinking of someone else as well who says, send me your money and I'll give you a sermon, dig your own well, drink and don't just fill yourself up, the Bible says pour it out, let it come out, give it away. Because otherwise, Moab got filled up and was at his lease, and God said, oh, I'm sick of you just drinking it for yourself. I'm going to tip your vessels over. The sin of Moab was that they literally just drank it themselves. The trouble with the living waters flowing into the Dead Sea, there was no outlet. Many Christians are like this, so holes. Fill me up, fill me up. I just want to get through the week. Fill me up. Woo, 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 woo. You should be filled up everywhere at any time and within seconds. You should be able to literally in the Spirit wait upon the Lord and allow His manifest presence to open up above you, either to be taken up or Him to come down and fill your vessel up to satisfy your needs because you can do nothing apart from Him loving you. You can only love because He first loves us. Does that help? I can in five minutes walk into a meeting and literally be filled up. Hear his voice and literally know what's on his heart. I can be fully satisfied just in this, me and Jesus. But Jesus then says, we want you to be a blessing. I've run out of time, haven't I? A blessing to nations, a blessing to people. Spirit and Brian say, come and drink. I've drunk from the river of life continually in my Christian walk today. Come and eat. You know what an amazing thing is? God is the one who gives authority, not man. Man, Man's job is to recognize those who have been given authority by God. People say, submit to me and I'll give you a place. No, no, God says, I will give you the authority. I will anoint you. I will empower you. And all we're doing is recognizing what God's already given. If you operate out of a position of authority, then you are not operating out of the anointing. The relationship is more important. People shouldn't be operating out of their position of power because the moment you do that, you are operating out of a place of control. You are making people submit to you based upon your position. They will obey you if you make them afraid of you. But then you are literally lording it over them. True relationship is that you lead them, not push them. I've heard so much about being driven. I'm sick of the word driven. You know what a driver is? A slave driver. God does not drive you. He leads you. As a shepherd leads the sheep, he leads you. He's gentle, he's caring, he, he nurtures, he picks up, he carries. If need be, puts on the shoulders. He leads you. He doesn't drive you. He loves you whether you do anything for him on the entire planet. When I died and went to heaven, I had done nothing for the Lord. But guess what? His love was immense. His radiance and glory filled me. He made me pure and holy as I stood there. And God said, how can you improve on that? So my security from the word go was that he loves me, he accepts me, He's given me eternal life. I have free access into the kingdom of heaven and I have done nothing in the work of the kingdom here on earth. If you're working for God to get brownie points or little stars in heaven, you're on the wrong sheet again. You're performance-orientated acceptance. You're performing to try and please your father who loves you. How many fathers love your kids whether they succeed, do anything? You love them. No matter, you, you love them. You would like them to succeed, but if if they don't, you still love them. Just like the prodigal father, the prodigal son, he loved the child even though he's in the pigsty of life had taken the entire inheritance, ripped him off, he still loved him. The father still loves us. Father still loves me. The father heart of God is one of the greatest things. If you have fellowship or koinonia with him, our fellowship is with the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Some of us have got the revelation of Jesus being my savior, my Lord, cleansing me by His blood. But many of us need to be reparented by the Spirit of adoption, where God will refather you into His love. He'll provide for you. He'll care for you. He will look after you. He'll be the Father of lights. He'll be the Father to the fatherless. Jesus, as my savior, my friend, my Lord, but He said, "I don't, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends." What a friend I have in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the comforter who brings revelation, transformation and conviction of sin. If you think as a Christian you don't need to be convicted of sin anymore, you're an absolute error. Because the Holy Spirit wants to do sanctification work within you. It's an ongoing work of sanctification, being changed from glory to glory. I've got some Christians hearing, I know, I'm only heavenly conscious, I'm not sin conscious. I said, excuse me, my Bible says to the word, word in Timothy, some people have failed to keep a clean conscience and a pure heart and have been shipwrecked in regard to their faith. What does the Holy Spirit do? Convict our conscience of sin, righteousness and judgment. If the Holy Spirit is still alive and working in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and amongst Christians who have faith, that means you could be shipwrecked if you deny having a clean conscience and a pure heart. Paul, John, what is it, David said, Created in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. How many heard some whacked out teaching lately? Bible says in the last days will come false teaching, false prophets, false everything. Christ is desperately trying to get our attention to know this. Clean Bible, dirty heart. Old, boy, old guys used to say this, dirty Bible, clean heart. I'd love to pick up people's Bibles and just can I have a look at your Bible for a moment. Why? I want to have a look at it. You have my Bible, I can tell you right now, there is not one page that God hasn't spoken to me from. Even in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that's a miracle. <laughs> I hope what I've just shared is of some help. Relationship with God, fellowship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, cease striving, know I'm God, stop trying to find your ministry and learn how to serve, your ministry and gift will make room for you. You say, well that's not my calling, do it anyhow. My calling is to preach the gospel, I'm not going to wash those dishes, wash the flipping dishes. My job is to call out the prophetic word over nations, Fine. Run a home group. Good yeah. I'm supposed to be between thousands. I'm a captain of thousands. Look after 10. Do not be too highly inflated of who you might be. You might be a person before thousands. Look after one. Look after yourself first. Because <laughs> if you don't get that right, you will blow up. The impurities within the vessel will, under the fire and under the testing, cause the vessel to explode. Every one of you will go through the high fire. The greater the calling, the greater the testing. (sighs) How many say, I don't want anything, just leave me alone, I just want to come to church, sit down, do my one hour and get out of here. (laughs) Then you're mostly one that's supposed to get look after hundreds. If you don't want to do it, he's mostly going to get you to do it. Use my brother. Use <laughs> my sister. Call them. I'm calling you. I don't want to do it. I'm going to get in the boat and sail away. We'll chuck you overboard then, <laughs> and we'll spit you back up on the beach. Anyhow, I preached to them and I couldn't be bothered. Their whole city repented. I wanted you to send fire down and kill them all. <laughs> I'm going to kill the tree that's over you so you get sunburned. <laughs> you got a bit of lip? God's got a sense of humour, mate. You think you can outsmart him? <laughs> You'll have the last laugh. Do you think you've seen people like us before? Yeah. It's too tough. <laughs> what are you going to do, run? could <laughs> not work. <laughs> what are you going to do, deny you? I can't. Yeah. What are you going to do then? I'm following you. <laughs> <laughs> you can be happy. Well, I will be later, not here. <laughs> Just let me be grumpy for a while, then I'll... Love them? Well, I can't. They're blinking horrible. <laughs> Serve them? These sheep have teeth. <laughs> I want to be anointed, Lord. I don't like that. Now everyone wants me to pray for them. You use me to heal people. Now everyone's lining up, saying, "Lay hands upon me." God, no. I didn't really heal them. I'm going. <laughs> you really got to understand, die to yourself now, it's a lot easier. If you're the walking dead, then you've given up your rights, it's not your time, it's not your world, it's his. You'll find it a lot easier to serve when you're dead. No longer I that. I wish most Christians just, just meditate on that for a couple of ten years. <laughs> No longer I that, but Christ who. Yes. The cross is to crucify who, you. He took the sins on the cross. What's he want to take take out of you on the cross? Your ambition, your pride, your jealousy, your competition, your you and me, I and myself. How would like you to crucify all that too? Even your giftings and callings, he would like to kill it so that it's no longer something you hang on to. Abraham, the father of faith, prayed for a miracle. What did he get? Isaac. The, the promise, by faith, he received. What did God say? Guess what, son? Now I want you to do something else with that promise. Go and kill it. I've seen people that have been waiting for years to see their ministry confirmed, have gone through all hell, duck spears, got the ministry, and then when someone says, kill it, they'll kill the person who's trying to tell them to kill it. Otherwise, your security will be in your gift and your promise. Abraham lifted it up and said, right, you gave it. You can take it away. And if you want to resurrect it, you will. Stop. I see your heart. You're willing to literally love me and do give it up. So on that same mountain, Mount Moriah, God the Father sends his son. Bam. Down comes the spikes and he's dead. Same mountain. When Abraham took up his son, father had been willing to lay down his son. He said, no, no, you don't have to kill your son. I'll take my son. And resurrection power is the key. You will not know resurrection power until you die. So don't try and kill yourself. That's called suicide. It's the spirit of death and demons. Get healed. Die to your ambition. Because if you don't, if you really are a leader, God will kill you. You might as well die quickly. Quicker. <laughs> the quicker you die to yourself, the quicker he can bring resurrection power into your life. Then you go. I can't save, I can't heal, I can't do anything, but somehow you will anoint me with the Holy Spirit and power, you'll give me words of knowledge, words of wisdom, you will actually help me to speak to these people, and you'll give me supernatural strength to do this for hours, pray for six or 700 people, see bodies flying through the air, healed, and, and you won't then go, follow me, follow Jesus. See you later. Let's go and have a pizza. And you won't be burnt out because you are not doing it out of you, you are doing it out of the overflow of the abundance of the anointing of God that fills your vessel. And you're not bringing glory to yourself, you're trying to bring glory to Him who literally was the person who touched them anyhow. And it doesn't mean because He did all that that you're sorted, you're still a mucked up person trying to get fixed. And if you hear some, some preacher say, he's completely fixed, he's He's lying. Because I haven't met one human being that's completely fixed yet, including me. Ask my wife. And my kids my kids will mostly tell you more than my wife, because my wife's more gracious. <laughs> How many parents have teenager kids? How many of you know you know nothing, and you might as well admit it now that you know nothing about anything? You're the dumbest person on the planet, and they are right. And mean, know you might as well leave that alone for the next eight years until they turn 25 and then maybe they'll come normal again. <laughs> you think you're the worst parent, you've done it completely wrong, and why shouldn't even be even standing here because that kid went into la la land. How many youth have gone into la la land and somehow come back? Love on them, yes, dear, but dad, you wouldn't agree with me on anything. How come you're agreeing everything? Because I just love to agree with you, honey. But I enjoyed the discussion. I said, no, it's a fight. I just love you, honey. God bless you. Isn't it wonderful? It's all glorious. You're so positive, Dad. you used to conflict. Not anymore. You have an opinion. Yes, but you're not going to hear it. I can't rattle your cage. No, I want to live in peace. I have enough conflict in my life without you. How many know they can chew you up and spit you out for breakfast? (laughs) People will do this to you. People will have a go at you and some of them will be some of the closest. Part and parcel of following God. So Lord, help us. I mean, I'm finished. I've already raved on an hour and a half too long. I hope and pray that as a fellowship, you will begin to offer yourself up for service to the Lord to love Him. And then as you have strength and ability to count the cost and start to find how you can best serve others in the body of Christ. Take your place in Joel's army. Take your place in these end, the end-time uh, family. Living stones built together in love. This is a beautiful thing. Get to know each other. Find out their testimonies. Invite them over. Love them. Don't have them in numbers in your home group. Actually get to know them. Care for them. Hear their testimony. Shut up and listen to them. I think you'll learn more by hearing other people than you will actually by trying to teach them theology. I've sat in churches for years and they don't even know each other. And the pastors don't even know their own leadership team. I was in one church we just started in London. I said, the first thing we're going to do is ask your testimony. They said, what? No one's ever asked us anything. They want to find out how we can be serving somewhere in the church. I said, no, no, we just want to find out how you came to Jesus. And then we're just going to listen to that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I was blown out when I heard people tell me their journey. As I listened, God's going there's an evangelist, there's a prophet, there's a teacher, there's a ministry of helps, there's a ministry of service, there's a, there's a person who's pastoral and i just thinking look at them all, incredible. I was blown out. I said have you ever spoken? No, oh, no one's ever asked me to do anything. I said well would you like to at least perhaps do communion or do something in the church other than just m- moving people around in cars? Yes. I listened to them and thought I should shut up and sit down. So I ended up preaching four times a year. The danger is they said, oh, we're paying you. I said, no, you're not. I'm here not because you're paying me. What happens if the person who's the Levite that's working full time doesn't preach? I'm shutting up here. So, Lord, thank you very much. Lord, we thank you that you will build your church. We thank you that you will bring people out of their shadows, out of the darkness, out of manipulation and control, and help them to flourish. I pray they'd begin to shine. They would be filled up to overflowing with your presence. They would know the calling to intimacy. They would know the calling to revelation. They would know the calling to come in and meet with the Father, to kneel before His throne and be given scepters, swords, garments, (laughs) the oil of anointing, impartation, scrolls, manuals. They would begin to hear the plans that are on God's heart, how best to serve the body of Christ here on earth. I pray that you would help them to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, a friendship with Christ, closer than a friend, I pray, Lord, that they begin to know and love one another, lay their life down for each other, and actually fall in love with people. Not just minister in power, but actually love first. Because, Lord, out of love, you healed. Out of compassion, you were moved in miracles. Lord, change our heart to be like you. Help us to literally honor you in all that we do and say. Pray they would become overflowing vessels full of the anointing of God and going around touching lives, bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth, but telling them this earth is not home, (laughs) that we're just passing through. Gosh prepared a place for us, and praise God, we're going to get there. So I pray you'd encourage each other as the day's draw near that we can work while it's still light because darkness will come where no man can work. Help us to work effectively for your kingdom here on earth before you return. We know you're about to return. You've gone to a far country and prepared a place. Thank God we're going to be with you soon. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.